The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Um, so we will start with uh, public comment. And uh, this is an opportunity for participants to speak up to three minutes to speak to the commission. Press star nine if listening by phone or use the raise hand feature if you enter the web link. For phone access, call 877-853-5247 and enter meeting ID 977-6634-1226. To unmute, press star six. City staff will select callers that have raised their hand using the last three digits of your phone number or by name if available for those accessing to the web link. When speaking, please move to a quiet area and mute any television or background sounds so that we may hear you clearly. Please state your name and address at the beginning of your comments. Do we have anybody? in line, Mr. Leonard. We do. Ari Irfano. Hi, how are you? Um, Good. See the rest of my team on this. Am I not seeing oh, it? We will promote you for your item shortly. First, this is oh, public okay. comment. No, I'm with Oz Architecture. Yep, yep. yep. Hold tight. Okay, thank you. Mark Gerstein. Okay, go ahead, Brett. I was going to do it if you. Oh, take it away. Um, do you hear me? We can. Yes, we can. Yes, you do? Okay. Yes, go ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I am Mark Gerstein. I live at 1321 Forest Court, and I'm vehemently opposed to the application for a PUD project for the site on Church Street, now occupied by the buildings at 707 to 721. Um, the proposed 19-story student apartment building is totally out of character with the surrounding R4C neighborhood. It disregards and disrespects the existing buildings between Willard and Hill Street, an attractive area of well-maintained residences, fraternity and sorority houses, uh, ample greenery with large older trees, and a mix of long-term residents like me and student renters. The proposal um, for this project ignores the residential buildings on Forest Court, where I live, and takes no account of the play yards at the Towsley Children's House that abuts the site. It's right behind there. Uh, the proposal is in total violation of the zoning created by the city in the recent past, establishing D1 and D2 zones with step downs to preserve the integrity of the surrounding R4C zones. Um, on Church Street, D1 zoning stops at Willard. This proposal is an attempt to use the PUD process to totally circumvent and bust open the current zoning if this PUD project and the ones also being proposed on South Forest Avenue, like the one at 721 South Forest that's on your agenda in two weeks, um, are allowed to go forward. It will destroy the zoning regulations negotiated, voted on and established by the City Council and open the whole area up to opportunistic development. The city's definition of a PUD states that, quote, the zoning district shall not be allowed where it is sought to primarily avoid the imposition of standards and requirements of other zoning classifications 
or other city regulations rather than achieve the stated purposes of the PUD. This is exactly the only purpose of this request for a PUD for this project. That is to avoid and negate the current R4C zoning. There is no discernible public benefit in this PUD's proposal. The vague remarks in the proposal about, quote, um, public green spaces and or plazas and, quote, allowing public enjoyment of on-site on-site amenities do not correspond to anything in the various site drawings and schematics provided. Any housing crisis in Ann Arbor will not be in any way addressed by this proposal, which is solely remarketed for high-rent high student housing. I strongly urge you to reject this PUD so proposal, um, and so on and so forth. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. Next caller is Ann Murphy. Hi, thank you for having me. My name is Ann Murphy. I live at 413 Marcana Place. And I also strongly object to the 7-Eleven church proposal. I'm a parent of a child at the Towsley Children's House. Um, I have a three-year-old there. The Towsley Children's House is a, a daycare at the southwest corner of Willard and Forest. And the play yard, um, as mentioned before, directly abuts the proposed property. This daycare has 125 kids. They range from infant to five years old. They spend several hours per day in the morning and several hours per day each afternoon outside in the play yard. Um, I have three concerns. One is that the blockage of sunlight will happen at this playground and the heat will be reflected on this. Essentially, it's gonna impact the children's development. They're not gonna be able to spend as much time out in the play yard once the site is constructed. Second, there is the construction itself. So the proposed, the prior three-story townhomes um, would have had a much shorter duration of construction, but the duration of the noise pollution, the dust pollution, chemical pollution, it's gonna be really dangerous for these young developing children. My third concern is that there's gonna be 19 stories of windows looking on their play yard. Um, and we just don't know who's in there and who's gonna be looking down on them. And I think um, that seems really um, out of, you know, the range of what we're looking for, for our young children. Thank you. Thank you. The next caller is Eleanor Lynn. Sorry. My name is Eleanor Lynn. I live at 1321 Forest Court, less than a five minute walk from the Church Street properties that are in question. The developer's proposal for a 19 story student high rise is totally out of compliance with the zoning of the neighborhood, the size and scale of the surrounding buildings and the well-being of nearby residents. Back in 2009, when numerous proposals were sprouting up for high-rise buildings along South University, local residents and city officials were shocked at the lack of city guidelines for development. We worked long and hard to write the A2D2 regulations that spelled out D1 and D2 zoning districts along South University and adjacent parcels down to Willard Street. The idea was to permit greater density along South University in accord with the Calthorpe proposal, but to provide a meaningful step down to preserve the integrity of the surrounding R4C area. 
Without the city changing this agreement, the de developers from all over the country are exploiting a loophole in our zoning, asking for special exception planned unit developments to override maximum height, density, and setback regulations. There are already two such proposals along South Forest, and now this proposal on Church Street. This trend is wrong. It is harmful to the integrity of the cityscape and is particularly vile to my neighbors and me who live peacefully on Forest Court. The pre-petition proposal also lies about the placement of nearby residential buildings and heritage trees. The aerial view photographs they submit do not show our houses because we are nestled under towering oak trees. Their land use and bird's eye perspective drawings are more devious. They do not show the seven houses along the south side of Forest Court, nor the five houses along the north side of the street. They do not show the centuries old oak grove that runs from the first Presbyterian church through our yards and the beautiful deep setback at the Forest Plaza apartment. They do not show the fact that the east end of Forest Court is closed to vehicular traffic, permitting only pedestrians to walk from the campus area to the First Presbyterian Church and the North Burns Park and Oxbridge neighborhoods. The neighborhood between Hill Street and South University is an attractive and tranquil area with well-maintained houses ample greenery and a harmonious mix of long-term residents and short-term student renters. Several guidebooks to Ann Arbor have called it a hidden gem. It is the kind of urban landscape that should be protected, celebrated, and replicated in our desire to make Ann Arbor a livable city. I have attached a corrective version of the petitioner's offending aerial photograph land use and bird's eye view drawings of the neighborhood showing where our houses exist and what must be connected, corrected. I'm very sorry to interrupt, your time is up. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, five more callers and our next caller is Chad Brummett. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, you can be heard. Okay, great. I am not gonna go through the details as well as what uh, Mr. Gerstein and Ms. Mrs. Lynn did, but I will say as a citizen, I struggle with the idea that you can simply change zoning. I, I vehemently disagree with this PUD. It doesn't make any sense as a citizen that when we have policies and we have procedures in place that regulate zoning so as to keep our city unique and allow residential areas and student areas to coexist, that this can come along, a group from Texas or even a group here in Michigan can come along and just propose a building that is completely outside of the character of the neighborhood. 19 stories in a place where most are single family homes or duplexes. I don't understand how this is allowable. And I, there is no public benefit put forth. My father spent his life in tax accredited affordable housing. This is just a way to try to get around the, the the goals here by putting forth additional dollars. Um, I'm disappointed that in, on A23, uh, they, uh, 22, they put forth a very modest three building uh, unit consisting of 18 units. That's very reasonable, something more suited to the space. 
and then flipped it to something that is just enormous. 19 stories, dwarfing everything, including campus next door. Uh, I am really concerned about this trend, the trend that Eleanor put forward about multiple proposals like this, in addition to the density put forth in South University, which is appropriately zoned and consistent with the city's goals and the city's stated zoning requirements. Um, I'm a supportive of tax credit affordable housing. If the developers want to put forth a more modest four or five story development, they would include tax accredited affordable housing within, the, not, not as a penalty or not as a tax, but actually to put affordable housing within those units. I'm very supportive of that. Just make it fit the city. Again, I come back to it. I think you as a group need to understand and need to explain to citizens if you choose to accept this PUD, how we can simply have this loophole and how this could affect you, your house, and our neighborhood. I've loved living in this city. I've loved living in one of Annabur's most historic homes. I'm at 1530 Hill Street where the J.D. Baldwin House, it is the original Burns Park House. We live right next door to students. We share driveway with students. We have a lot of the chaos, but also a lot of the fun. And it works. But just adding thousands of students and having buildings that tower over single-family homes and duplexes just doesn't make any sense and is inconsistent with the goals that have been put forth by the city and agreed upon by the city and its citizens. Thank you for your comments. The next caller is Lisa Yevans. Hi, this is Lisa Jevons. Uh, can you hear me okay? We can. Okay, um, I live at 1312 Cambridge, North Burns Park neighborhood. Um, I wanna bring up a point that um, really often gets overlooked with all these high rises that get approved. And that is that um, the neighborhood just simply cannot bear the deliveries, maintenance workers and trash pickup and trash traffic required for daily life. Just because you don't include parking and assume students won't bring cars to campus when they live in your building doesn't mean that their lives aren't completely dependent on a constant stream of vehicles. For example, I live next door to a rental house with eight people living there. It is a constant stream of delivery drivers from morning to night, Amazon, Uber, UPS, FedEx, DoorDash, you name it. That is only for eight people. In addition, this house has four large trash bins that are often full plus two full recycling bins per week. You multiply that by 125 and you will see that this kind of density is completely unsuitable for the neighborhood and it will wreak havoc there. I don't see anything in their plan that addresses this. I also would urge you not to approve this PUD because as Mark Gerstein said, is obviously just trying to run around our zoning, which was put there for a good reason and I think that you should require the developer to stick with the original townhomes that were planned, which nobody was opposed to. And in fact, I think would be a good idea because eventually they could be used for any kind of resident, not just luxury housing for students. And the last thing I want to add um, in these type of hearings, I want to mention the fact that just because a developer is going to pay into Ann Arbor's affordable housing fund one time when they build these egregious buildings, that does not justify a monstrous tower with a thousand people in it that we will have to be living with for generations. Um, that in the eyes of the neighborhood, that is that is a 
poor deal for the city and as uh, Chad mentioned, for people trying to find affordable housing here. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Our next caller with um, four more in the queue is Ellen Ramsberg. Hi, can you hear me? You can be heard. Okay, thank you. I, I'm like Chad, I'm not going to repeat the very um, comprehensive questions and concerns that neighbors have brought up. I will say that I think the most dangerous thing about this is the precedent that it sets um, to allow uh, an existing zoning to be circumvented um, for uh, as a PUD. And I am I'm so concerned about what happens if this happens, then what happens to the rest of the neighborhood between Willard and Hill Street and on into the neighborhood below Hill Street that is predominantly student, single family size student housing, um, already quite dense, and but in a scale of, um, a neighborhood scale, a very livable scale. And I think the, the just the most dangerous part about this is the precedent that it will set. And then that there's total disregard for the size and massing of the existing R4C uh, buildings around it. I think that the, the uh, Towsley um, Children's Daycare Center is a legitimate concern and nowhere in the proposal does the um, developer address the um, amount of construction chaos that will be cre created by this development. Um, I think you have very legitimate reasons to deny this. And I sent earlier today, I sent a document pulling out of the UDC um, which as of February 26 is current and applies to this site. And I think all of the reasons that I stated in that written email are things that the Planning Commission needs to seriously consider and uphold. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Our next caller, uh, one of three remaining is Kelly Chesler Root. You have permission to speak. Hi, can you hear me? We can. Hi, my name is Kelly Chesler Root. I am a preschool teacher at Tesley Children's House. I am also a member of the community. I live at 1103 Miller Avenue, um, a different neighborhood. Um, I am also a former parent of Towsley Children's House and a former teacher of some of you on the council. Um, I am opposed to this. Oh, and I do not represent the university, although I work for the university. I am opposed to the potential 19 story building for many of the reasons that have already been spoken. Um, I agree with um, most of you when I say that the renderings do not show that there is a children's center and school next door. Um, this building will be create or allow us to be in the shadow of 19 stories of students. Um, I know the articles say that it's possible for families to live there, but I don't agree that that would happen. Um, how are we going to ensure that children stay safe on the playground, which 
is directly on the other side of the fence where the building is being constructed next to? How are we ensuring that children don't breathe in pollution? Children have already had to abandon the playground twice just for the demolition of old buildings. And there's only one building that has been taken down so far. A small net in between a fence and a space is not going to ensure children's safety. Uh, the children in the school next door do gardening. We are a nature program. We serve 120 families currently, but we do have the potential to serve 256 University of Michigan and community members. What impact will this have on noise for sleeping children? What impact will this have on children playing in day-to-day -day nature outside? Will this construction have um, uh, a plan for uh, safety in the intersection? Our children get out into the community and use the spaces around our building every single day. Uh, in the renderings, I do not see any plans for Uber, Lyft, um, just like the other buildings that we've allowed to come down, they have zero hotel lanes, which is what I call them for people to drive up and deliver things. Um, that is not in the renderings that I have seen online. Um, so I don't see how it's going to support, um, like Lisa said, uh, delivery services, garbage um, take up. It looks like the first three floors of the building are um, parking. Um, and what does that exhaust and pollution put on the children next door? Um, also, with 1% um, of parking spaces being provided for these students, what impact are we going to have on the forest parking structure that is next door where um, most of the people that work around there use? Um, students bring their cars from uh, East Coast when they come. Uh, they do not uh, ride bikes. <laughs> um, that's just from experience of working next door for 13 years. Thank you for your time. Um, save the children. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Our next commenter is Rose Broke. And one more in the queue. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yes, we can. Okay, great. I wanted to come to, oh, I live at 718 Thomas Court. Um, I wanted to come to this call because I had a feeling that most of the people who would attend would be in opposition to this building. And I have appeared to be correct in that. And um, I'm a student at University of Michigan, and for the last four years, I've paid through the nose in rent because there's not enough housing on campus for students. Um, I believe the only way to solve this problem of the incredibly competitive rent market with uh, skyrocketing rent prices is to increase supply. And I think this building would provide a lot of opportunities for housing for its students, not only luxury housing and expensive housing, but regardless, with more units, I believe that the overall cost of student housing in Ann Arbor for University of Michigan students will go down. Um, other callers have mentioned a lack of support for trash pickup and deliveries, and I want to point out that the site is right across from East Quad, which is a large student dorm, and across the corner from a different large apartment building. I think it's Arbor Blue. And these buildings both have hundreds of students living in them. And they have perfectly fine trash pickup and deliveries. And I know a lot of people who live in East Quad and were perfectly happy with the traffic and trash pickup in that area. And uh, I just wanted to say that as a University of Michigan student and a resident of Ann Arbor for over 20 years, I really hope that this building is built and I think it'll bring a great benefit to the community, not only 
University of Michigan students, but renters in Ann Arbor as a whole. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your comments. Uh, we have uh, two remaining hand, hands raised. Um, the next in the queue is Bob Caldwell. Bob Caldwell, you have permission to speak. Hello, I'm calling. Um, we have a son at Townsley Child House. Um, like others have stated, we've already been dealing with the demolition of these buildings for several months. Um, and just to comment, the developer hasn't been receptive or communicative about the plans. The city, when sending emails, has not communicated back about how they were going to remediate any construction impacts or demolition impacts. Um, the university has provided air testing and kept us up to date, um, but unfortunately, we're, we're, this is the only venue we've had to communicate with the city on this. Um, and like others have stated, there's very real concern with air pollution, not only during the construction, also with the amount of vehicle traffic and vehicle parking right next to the Children's Center. Um, and like everything else in the city, supply is constrained. Um, our son will go to kindergarten next year, so he will live with the impacts of this construction throughout the rest of his time at this facility and there's no other option. We already waited multiple years to get into this facility um, at this point. We're left to deal with this. Um, so I, I would encourage you to not approve this or have a better thought out how, how the impacts to the surrounding area will be handled. Thanks. Thank you for your comments. Our next and last speaker is Luis Vasquez. Do you have permission to speak? Hi, greetings. Uh, <clears throat> yes, thank you. Uh, greetings, um, Ann Arbor Planning Commission. Luis Vasquez, uh, resident of Upper Lower Town and the First Ward. Um, I wanted to speak in favor of uh, allowing this proposal to go forward. Um, Ann Arbor is in a severe housing crisis, uh, as was mentioned by uh, the University of Michigan student who spoke earlier. Um, and uh, we need more buildings like this uh, around the city. Um, I would actually, I think, actually think that um, this building in particular could be taller. Uh, and if if the developer is proposing to uh, add affordable housing units uh, to this proposal, all the better. Um, and also just to you know close by saying that uh, we really need to get to the task of um, zoning and comprehensive land use reform. Uh, we can't wait much longer for uh, zoning reform in, in the city of Ann Arbor. Uh, but thank you for hearing me out and uh, good luck. Thank you for your comments. That is all of our hands raised for this evening.
Okay, so let's move on then to um, item number three, which is to discuss this project, 7-Eleven Church Street. Uh, this is a pre-PUD application conference, proposed 19-story, 525,000 square foot building that could include 350 apartments with 1,050 beds, 350 on-site covered bike parking spaces, and 100 on-site parking spaces. So um, I presume we're going to have something from staff or developer to orient us. Yeah, we will. Uh, we will have a presentation here shortly by the petitioners team. Um, I think most of them have been promoted to the meeting, but I wanted to just uh, remind the commission and a lot of uh, got a lot of folks uh, who have commented and are, are viewing. And so I just wanted to uh, uh, go over the the PUD process generally, just to set the stage for that. Um, so there's a there's some questions and comments about zoning and changing the zoning. Um, this the plan unit development is one zoning district in the city that can any property owner could seek a rezoning to. Uh, in the case of plan unit development, it is a um, custom customizable zoning district that can be created for a specific project. And it is a dialogue ultimately between the city and a property owner about how that proposed project might deviate from um, the existing zoning or other zoning districts in the city and in exchange for public benefits that might be proffered as part of that project. Um, because of the uniqueness of this, we require a pre-conference, uh, a pre-petition conference with the Planning Commission. That's what is here this evening. This is the first um, conversation that the Planning Commission has. No application has been filed yet. Um, after this, uh, this discussion, this is an opportunity for preliminary feedback from the Planning Commission to the project team. And then in the event that the project team uh, elects to move forward with that, that will be a formal application that will follow the typical process of the city, which is inclusive of a resident participation meeting, the submission of an actual application. That application will be technically reviewed by city staff across the organization, presented to you the Planning Commission for a recommendation and then any zoning has to proceed to city council for the final motion. So I just wanted to make sure that everybody was on the same page of what that process is. Um, and with that, um, Mr. Moore, um, who will be running a presentation on behalf of the team? So um, one of my fellow architects, um, Ari at Oz Architects is actually gonna be scrolling through the slides. Uh, one of his uh, coworkers, Eduardo will actually be doing the, the presentation. Um, and uh, <clears throat> Chris Johnson will be speaking for the LV Collective. Um, he should be promoted as well. I can't quite see who is and who is not promoted. I have been, Brad. Good afternoon or good evening, Commissioners. Um, so how, about, how about Chris? Is Chris promoted? I don't see him yet. Not sure why we're not seeing Chris. Hank, do you have a, or Brett, do you have a Chris Johnson logged in? They should, yep, they're being promoted right now. I did request that they become a panelist. Okay. Looks like they've accepted. There he is. Oh. <laughs> there's Ari, 
Commissioner Clark is also out of the there. And we have So do we have Chris now or? Yes, Chris is a panelist. Well, cool. all right. Well, thank you very much uh, this evening. I have uh, another proposal to help ease the housing shortage as a couple of the public speakers uh, acknowledged uh, in an area convenient for the uh, intended target market. Um, I have with me other team members tonight um, Chris Johnson is currently with LV uh, Collective, the developer here. Some of you uh, may remember Chris from another project that I worked with him on, the 616 East Washington project. So Chris is not new to town. He's very familiar with Ann Arbor and uh, he can certainly speak to um, a lot of the issues that were brought up in terms of working with neighbors, including the Child Development Center over the course of the project. Um, LV Collective is a purchaser of the site. They are not the proposed previous development, nor, nor have they been involved with any of the on-site activities currently. And then I also have uh, the design architects with me from Oz Architects. So uh, I'll let Chris speak a little bit first, um, and then he'll uh, turn it over to Oz to run through the uh, ele basic elements of the proposal. Chris? Thank you very much, Brad. I appreciate it. Um, uh, thank you, folks of the, the Planning Commission. Um, as Brad stated, and for those of you who may recall, I was heavily involved uh, on the pursuit and approval of the Project 616 East Washington. Um, I do sincerely hope uh, you also recall our approach, um, which, which is for this scale and complexity of a development was one um, of open communication and transparency with all direct and indirectly impacted stakeholders. So uh, we would understand the needs of outreach that accompany any project of this complexity. So we really appreciate the ability for this initial project introduction and, um, and furthermore, uh, the ability, uh, should it be there to continue to work with those stakeholders. Um, tonight, we're here uh, to propose a planned unit development um, in, uh, by way of uh, providing an adequate um, supply of, of needed housing for those living in Ann Arbor. Um, with uh, some configuration, we intend to, pri to, to provide um, that efficiency to developing the downtown by creating a livable, um, significant, and in, in, in dense development in uh, the downtown, uh, adjacent to the downtown and the South University neighborhood. Um, we do have sustainable sustainability goals in mind uh, for an all electric building. And we are proposing a LEED gold certification standard. Um, we, similar to you know, past pursuits, active solar energy strategies, um, as, as well as the other uh, requirements of electrical vehicle charging stations, et cetera. Um, to uh, be accompanying our building and creating this exist existing density in the pedestrian friendly areas. Um, we have a, a lower parking ratio to really try to uh, provide that connectivity, uh, pedestrian connectivity to several goods and services um, in the immediate adjacent area. Our housing goals, um, while we are uniquely positioned here uh, um, by being adjacent to two, two different sides, uh, of the University of Michigan owned parcels and, and adjacent 
to the DDA border uh, immediately to our north um, in the South University area uh, neighborhood. Uh, so we are um, in this position uh, to provide the community the, the highest and best used for the site and, and the land, as opposed to previous applications. Um, we wanna create this efficiency through the density and the close proximity uh, of other high rise developments uh, mentioned by uh, some of the citizens um, on the, uh, the church and Willard corridors um, in, in close proximity. And um, as, as a, a point to note, over 50% of the units that we're currently uh, discussing being providing are less than the typical four bedroom uh, student layout that you would see in, in many of these developments. Um, we are professionally managed uh, and secured building um, to uh, to make note. Um, in, in eyeing the protection of natural features um, by developing this density as an alternative to urban sprawl, of course, and protecting other off-site natural features um, that would obviously be um, in the direct uh, uh, impacted areas if a environment of this level of density is is spread out through the Ann Arbor area. Um, so ideally, you know, this is, uh, again, creating that walkable and, and vibrant downtown, uh, as well as minimizing overall impervious development throughout the, the region. Um, we want to uh, hopefully we're impacting uh, open space um, to whatever degree possible what uh, setbacks and, and outdoor indoor outdoor cafe access for the public uh, and uh, significant outdoor raised courtyards and rooftop amenities. Um, also feel it very prudent to mention uh, the significant uh, donation that accompanies a project like this for affordable housing efforts, um, as well as uh, consideration in providing types of units like that uh, within the development. Um, it should also be noted the uh, extremely significant tax base that accompanies a project like this on the very first year of operation. Um, for that, I really want to thank you for your time and your audience. And without any other delay, I would appreciate uh, to introduce Eduardo Ivanis with Oz Architecture for the remainder of the presentation. Thank you very much, Chris. Um, good evening, commissioners. Uh, as uh, Chris noted, my name is Eduardo Villanes. I am a principal with Oz Architecture in Denver. Uh, we also have an office in Boulder. Therefore, we are very familiar with how it is to work in a university town that is always fluctuating as it's very intelligent in terms of how it plans its future growth. Um, with that said, uh, I'm delighted that we have staff, we have the planning commissioners and the neighbors as well to help us craft uh, sustainable and responsible development. To that note, I would like to illustrate to you tonight uh, the tools that we're using to inform ourselves and to help you understand what are at least the filters that we're using to see your city from the perspective of understanding how this project could be of benefit for the community as a whole. Uh, I want to make sure that you understand that we took notes of the comments we heard tonight and uh, we will address them as well. New to me today, so probably it's going to take a little time before we do that. But before we do that, let me say that uh, as we look at a project from maybe 30,000 feet, we're looking at um, first 
clearly the the client's uh, program and and goals for the project. But very quickly, we need to understand the city context, the neighborhood, and all the master plans and comprehensive plans that you have overlaid on a site such that uh, we understand what or what cannot happen here. Clearly, it's a process that takes a give and take, um, and it's very informative to all of us mm -hmm. to correct our thoughts and move forward. But Ari, would you do me a favor and go to the next slide? With that said, you know, we've been looking at this site from the perspective of where we are in the city, uh, the southern district of, of the university, in the context of uh, what's happened with the D1 zoning and how that has changed the edge of the campus as we relate also to corridors that are commercial, they're linked, they're, they're multimodal. So there's a lot of accessibility that allows us to connect. That was also evaluated in the context of what we've been hearing since Brad started alluding the fact of this um, housing crisis that we have just about everywhere. Um, and it's a problem that we need to resolve. And I applaud you for thinking that uh, sprawl is not a solution for this, but more so um, a densification of our urban cores. Clearly is a best avenue that will allow us to uh, be sustainable in the long run. The next image um, was now looking at more specifically about where we are on the site. And, and we put a building on the site, not as a final layout, but we're trying to understand what and how we could best utilize this, the, the site, realizing that there's a lot of other forces and, and, and uh, advice that we're gonna get from a lot of other people to make sure that this is the best solution. But we know very quickly that uh, when we when we see that, and you give me the next slide, please, which not so much that as, as those projects have been done around us, yet it's across the street on a different zoning, but it is in the context of where we are. You know, we're across the campus, we're across uh, the street, such that if you give me the next slide, Ari, um, you see that it's, it's very diverse. There's a parking mm -hmm. structure, there's uh, tall buildings, there's low buildings, there's the child development center behind us, um, there's the dorms that have a very large service yard in front of us, and all of those forces, when you go to the next slide, allow us to understand, well, where are we and, and how do we relate to the city that kind of at a diagonal through campus has a downtown core that has also similar implications with buildings of different heights from, from low to very high, then to densify the downtown. And where we are right now in, a, in an area that I anticipate is, is changing. Um, we wanted to make sure that we illustrate to you all the things that we are seeing from our filters, okay, such that your advice help us craft what's good here. The next slide was for us to understand again from 30,000 feet, what, what is critical here, the pedestrian connectivity and, and the importance of um, making sure that once you come here, you're on campus, you're close to um, University and Hill Street that have multimodal and, and yet you're right on campus such that the movement of people as is going through either class or or just a walk around the, or the building behind us is is well understood from the perspective 
which are the corners that create that major pedestrian activity. Next slide, please. But at the same time, we also need to understand, well, what happens to all these vehicles that are moving through, mostly uh, on University and Hill Street, through church uh, going up and down, and how we connect to our parking structure that is, yes, indeed, it's three levels, but is is hidden from uh, all sides, such that uh, once you penetrate the building through uh, the dot that you see in the in the right image, uh, you disappear. But that image, if we go to the next slide, is also where we are going to get all deliveries and trash pickup, such that all the vehicles that are coming to this building are connected to the service yard that you see on the right side image um, across the street to uh, the service yard of the quad, E-Squad dorms. Next slide, please. This is just for reference, not critical just yet, but we we wanted to understand, you know, how the building relates in the context of looking out. Um, show me the next slide, please. So this is a very interesting analysis for us. Is okay. Let's understand what the code allows us to do. The building code, not not your zoning code, in terms of um, the the height and the type of construction that we could have. And, and as such, we are uh, on a type 1A that allows uh, many different construction types on 19 stories and up. So the, the key here is, is for us to illustrate this to you as we know that different construction types allow different construction systems that need to be tested with the market of the construction industry locally to your town. But the way we're organizing the building is such that facing Church Street, we have an amenity space that is very porous and transparent to the street. And it really has two high levels in such a way that the building then steps back and the parking, as I said, is below the building and behind the building as a podium for the tower on top, which is the residential units. The next slide, please. Mm -hmm. This only articulates an envelope in such a way that we are evaluating how we're going to carve a setback on the side properties and the back property to the child development center. This is just a reference point. When you look at the next slide, and we start looking at what the floor plan of the building does, um, as I said, we have not, not a formal application, but just kind of enough diagrams that uh, will allow you to think about what we are considering here will allow you best to illustrate your opinions in terms that we create a better project. But the idea was that along Church Street, the building indeed gets carved out in such a way that uh, we create an, an urban space, a green space along the street that is facing uh, an amenity space that's a lot is very transparent is very active it's very porous to the street and then as you go to the south you see that there's the service yard with trash pickup uh, services and so forth and also the and all of that happens inside of the building correct and also the access to the parking garage mm -hmm. when you go to the next plans. Uh, this is the level over that amenity deck that was two stories in height. 
it's almost like a plinth on which you see in those four green spaces on top. These are green terraces that are not only facing uh, the street, but also they are creating a green space up above the building, uh, over the garage, facing the development center uh, just across the property line. And as you go up, you see that we're articulating the building such as not a solid, or we're considering that we're not a solid facade, but we allow ourselves enough interest with the facade that we could break the mass, not only then horizontally, but also vertically. Next slide, please. And finally, as you go up, the idea that, uh, yes, indeed, we would like to take advantage of uh, the amount of sunlight that we'll have, and therefore, there's a great space for uh, in pink there for solar collectors and also the ability of, of any time we have a roof that we make it a green roof such that we again are taking care of, of um, uh, the absorption of, of the uh, sunlight. Next slide, please. So this uh, kind of illustrates a little bit better how the building will be articulated uh, with a section in the left that kind of uh, shows you the recess from the street with a, a big car to create that urban space in front of the sidewalk. The building steps up to that plinth over the amenity space and then the tower is farther back. And we do the same thing from the other side over the parking garage this time, not the amenity space. The facade or the section on the um, right illustrates the idea of how we break the mass now vertically by creating this in and out that allows uh, more articulation to the facade. The next slide, please. I, um, well, this is just illustrating to you how all of these uses will stack one on top of the other. Um, just as a reference. Next. So when you eventually see a building that we have not designed just yet, but just articulate a mass, so you can see it in the context of all existing buildings that we could pick up from data that's really available. Um, we are illustrating the building that it follows the, the context of what's across, and yet is on a, on a zoning that is on the border of um, D1 across the street, across Willard. And with that, we have a lot more slides um, that you could pull out when you may have some questions or you want, what, need additional advice from uh, either Chris, Brad, or myself. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Um, I will look for hands, though it's a little tricky for me to see everybody. So it may make sense to actually close the presentation um, so that I can get a full, there we go. Would anybody like to kick us off? Go ahead, Commissioner, uh, Commissioner Dish. I'll just ask some questions based on the uh, based on the calls that we, or rather the the public comment that we received. If 
if that's okay. Um, or, and also, uh, yeah, okay, no, I'll, I will do that. Okay. So I didn't understand the reference to townhomes originally being planned. Uh, did I miss something or do others understand, did others understand that? Um, and the, uh, um, is there provision for Uber and Lyft in the design so far? Yeah, um, so I could answer a couple of those real quick. That'd be um, great, like a little more context maybe yeah. for this would be super helpful. Yeah, so the, um, the, the seller of the property who has been slowly demolishing the existing structures that are there now and previously thought to build uh, townhouse project, um, but I'm I'm told that based on the costs he was seeing, it just didn't make financial sense. Um, so uh, that uh, proposal, which was submitted for staff review, has been withdrawn and is no longer an active proposal. Um, and then as to uh, the details of the potential drop-off zones, um, we're looking both at places on site for some deliveries to occur, but also perhaps a curbside uh, drop-off. There is currently some curbside parking there, which we would have to buy out. Um, we have to take a look at the chip, trip generation and, and how many spaces that would eventually evolve, but there'll be those two options uh, that we can fold into more detailed plans uh, if, if we move forward. So there'll be two places, curbside and also onsite. Commissioner Mills. Thanks. So um, just for the public's benefit too, like during this kind of pre-application, I think this is, and an, as a reminder to the rest of Planning Commission, because I feel like it's been a bit since we've had one of these, like I often think about, okay, what advice could I give in terms of what our standards are? So when this comes back before us, um, would be useful. And I'll I'll start out by saying I'm and so I think that there's a couple of different things that, that usually falls into, like what are the public benefits category? And then what does actually the proposal or kind of the sketch that we see look like? I'm struggling to find in this where the objectives are really unique. I think that the I want to get the language um, from the from the proposal, which is to achieve a greater efficiency of use in a limited resource, which is namely city land, proposing additional density, easing the housing crisis, moving towards more sustainable buildings. That does not seem unique to this particular site to me. I think that that is something that our entire code ought to be achieving. And I'm not seeing that that's anything particularly unique in this site. There's not a natural feature necessarily that that on this site that ought to be saved. And I, I so that's what I'm really struggling with. The idea of greater density looking at the in this area makes sense to me. Looking at the map, um, it is adjacent to to the uh, um, the D district. It's I mean, it's between two pieces of campus um, land. So it, 
in terms of expanding kind of our high density areas, this makes sense. What I'm struggling with is applying PUD to this. I would feel if, if this came back, if, if during our planning process, it made sense to either tweak the, the definition of um, what, where D1 is appropriate um, beyond, if, if that is actually kind of a limitation is the DDA boundaries to tweak that to expand or, um, or if the DDA boundaries expanded, like I could see this being the next logical place for expansion, but the PUD element, I like, I'm really interested in other folks' interpretations, but I think that the things here are not real. Um, it's difficult for me to see that this is a, a public benefit that could only be done through this designation. Again, it, it, like this fits in D1. So many of the categories are along with that. And it's just the definition D1. And that seems like a planning function to me that's missing here. Um, I, so, so that's kind of, maybe that spurs other planning commissioners to think beyond this, but like that, I don't, I've been struggling to figure out like what else could that be? Like what would really, if this were in D1, I guess that's that's another um, function. If this were in D1, like what would the benefits look like? And if this is more or, or like kind of what would be required, I would want to, I would expect that we would have at least what is required in D1. And again, for PUD, I would expect something different, like something that you can't do through D1. And that's what I'm just not getting. So um, I guess maybe this is, I, I don't know if that's like a, that's a comment because that's what we are generally doing here. But I don't know if there, if I, and I welcome other um, planning commissioners feedback. Um, Cause anyway, sorry. I would like to just pop in for one quick second with this one, um, based on what you brought up, Commissioner Mills, to say that we should think about some of the other things that have been proposed that are similar in some ways, like the thing on Packard that we looked at. Did we bring up the same thing with that? We didn't hear a lot of public pushback either. So it's something to for us to kind of think about how we're giving advice to people across the board with things that are outside of the D1 and D2 with this. Um, uh, and I think also we're kind of evolving as some of the kind of all electric and lead and things like that become more commonplace instead of something that was like, whoa, you know, fireworks. <laughs> um, but it, I, we also need to figure out how we are kind of being consist consistent or evolving within that too. I just put that out as something for us to consider. Commissioner Lee. Thank you. Uh, well, Commissioner Mills, I think what you said actually spurred kind of looking at the purpose statement of the PUD district. So I'm going to specifically look at encourage the use, reuse, and improvement of existing sites developed in a compatible way with surrounding uses, and then specifically intended to accommodate developments with one or more land uses. So these are kind of the four elements I'm going to look at. Um, not one or more land uses. So it seems like this is all pretty much the same zoning right now, not unusual topography. So my question to the petitioner, is there a topography issue um, that we should kind of be aware of? Is there something that's unusual here? 
because I'm just trying to think about the applicability of the PUD and trying to make sure that it fits within the context of um, you know, the purpose statement. And I'll let me just back up really quickly. Uh, I'll lead with the grappling with affordability and sustainability is important to us. So I appreciate the full electric bringing more units to the market. I think that's good. I, I am also grappling with the applicability of the PUD simply from those four categories of not one or more land uses, not an unusual topography, uh, unique setting within the community, and exhibiting diff difficult or costly development problems. So out of those four, just wanted the petitioner to lead me through the uh, discussion through the land uses, unusual topography, the unique setting, and then the exhi exhibition of diff difficult or costly development problems. Um, um, so certainly the, the topography is, is fairly um, level across the site. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, if you're familiar with that side of campus, it, it, there's no hills or valleys on that side of campus. Mm -hmm. um, we, yep. we are proposing one or more uses. Um, principally, it'll be a residential use to address the housing crisis. But um, this residential program comes with a, uh, a coffee shop cafe at, at the ground level, which would be part of the amenity package, which is open to that public space and open to the public to enjoy. Um, it's, it is unique in that it is adjacent to campus. You, you wouldn't propose a high density development like this um, at, at a place where you couldn't um, encourage walkability because you'd have to cram so much parking into it. It, it just wouldn't be economically feasible to build. So it, its uniqueness is, is inherently related to its proximity for the tenants, the users of, of the, of the of the facilities, so they have a, if they can keep a small carbon footprint. They don't have to drive in from long distances. They won't be necessary to have cars on site. They can use the public transportation options. They can use bicycles. They can walk to the places that they're going to they're going to be going. Um, so I think in in those aspects, those are all meeting that criteria. Um, and and then I, was there a one that I didn't touch on? No, no, you, you hit those, the four, um, exhibiting development issues, unique setting, uh, unusual topography and not uh, one or more land uses. Um, and then Brad and the rest of the petitioners, if you could grapple with developed in a compatible way with the surrounding uses. So that includes the, um, the children care. Uh, so having a, a parking lot backing up to that as far as like emissions and things of that nature goes. And then also to talk to us through uh, massing because I do see one of the homes kind of just north of that site is not a part of the development. So from continuity of building mass, uh, kind of talk to me through uh, the compatibility and the, uh, at least your ideation and conceptualization approaching uh, massing, uh, building, building environment, built environment continuity, and, and developing in a compatible way with surrounding uses. And Brad, if you could, if you're going to be the main speaker, if you could turn your camera on, that would be helpful for us as well. Yeah, I'm struggling with a little bit of bandwidth issues here in my neighborhood Got tonight, it. so uh, okay. I'll try it, but the audio gets so choppy, it gets difficult. That's fine. If you're having issues, that's fine. Um, I'll, I, I'll let, um, Oz uh, speak to the 
massing issues, because again, we're, we're in the very early studies, uh, or very part of design studying these issues. Um, I, I know there are several places around uh, the, the city where you can find the um, high rises adjacent to similar size structures. Uh, Huron is one of them where the uh, north side of one of my projects, um, the varsity is adjacent to some existing two-story residential architecture and they've been cohabitating quite nicely for quite a long period of time. So I don't, I don't view the, the dissimilarity in the height as an inherent incompatibility, um, but I'll, I'll let Oz speak to um, their uh, crafting of a design that would minimize any impacts from the parking levels to the Child Development Center. Thank you, Brad. Uh, it's Eduardo again. Um, well, yes, our intent is, as I said earlier, to hide the automobile from, from the adjacent sites. Uh, so as a matter of fact, the Child Development Center will not perceive that there's a parking structure there. Um, from the perspective of Matt, um, and let me rephrase that one more time, and in terms of the exhaust, we will be, we'll be going up to dilute those uh, CO2 gases so that they're not going to the site beside us. In terms of massing, yes, indeed, the idea was to craft the ground levels in terms of two and three stories. We're talking about 25 to 30 feet that we create a pedestrian height, if you will, from which the building is recessed back. And, and we do that on both sides in such a way that our reference to the building, um, as you are a pedestrian or you're in the playground, you realize that it's not at the height of a tower that hovers above you. Now, anything that goes in that neighborhood over four stories is gonna be much higher than what's the zoning. However, everything that's around it across the street is much higher. And it's interesting, I think, if you go across the street, uh, Willard, to um, the right or to the left, I'm sorry, there, there is a series of low buildings surrounded by the existing buildings that were built there uh, in the last probably 10 years uh, around Sea Place and Sterling Harbor. And now we saw a lot of that happening just throughout town. Now that doesn't make it good or bad. It's just that that's how the cities evolve over time, right? Especially when you're looking at densification as a mean of controlling sprawl and therefore you're minimizing the use of carbon fuels for one thing. So when you look, at least from my perspective, and, and believe me, we, we have not come to you just yet with the great idea, you know, but because we wanna see if this is feasible and then we wanna understand all those concepts that will make this building unique. And a lot of them, interesting enough, also relate to cost. Those are the discussions that I want to have, or we're having with the developer to, you know, that push and pull to make sure that this building is, is it makes everybody in the city proud, even though, yes, indeed, behind my back door, I might not like it. Yeah. Appreciate your comments. Um, I think I'll let some of the other commissioners speak at this point, so I'll yield my time. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Hammerschmidt. Thank you. Um, I appreciate this conversation. Actually, what was just said was really helpful and sparked a couple of other things for me too. I the I appreciate that this isn't necessarily your final design. I think 
you know, I'll just, just be honest, like I'm struggling with this, I think both from a PUD applicability, but also just from a scale and density. And I think there's no denying that we have an affordability crisis and a sustainability crisis, but I can't really put a pin in it, but something about this just doesn't feel like the right site for this. God, that sounded nimby of me. Um, but I, I appreciated you talking about sort of the step backs um, to try to make it, you know, from the, from the street scale, not feel like a giant tower. Um, and one thing that, that that made me wonder is if, have you done yet any sort of like shade or sun studies or is that too premature because you don't really have a final design? We wanted to make sure we get comments from you and advice from you in regards to all of those things. Uh, you know, what, once we present to you a package, we're going to present all mm -hmm. the detail that will allow you to understand all the questions that you're raising now. Okay, thanks. Um, yeah, I guess I'm. I don't know where I sit yet. Um, I, I really, I, I really, I hear all of the public comments about this. I mean, you, you sort of some of the the renderings or the the precedent, not precedent images, but some of the the bird's eye view, I guess, like images that you showed. The building just felt, it felt really out of scale to me. Like a block up, it makes sense, and 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 I know we're evolving, but these are like everything on that block right now is single story, and this is not a corridor. Like Packard is a corridor, so like a building there. It would be taller. It makes sense. All of our TC one, like that, makes sense to me. But right now, I'm just struggling. So I'm glad that we have the opportunity to have this conversation. So now I want to hear what everyone else thinks. Mr. White. Hi. Um, just a, a a couple comments and questions. Um, one, uh, I think Commissioner Mills, you talked about whether or not it made sense to extend the DDA boundary to include this property. Um, but I raised at our last meeting when we were talking with the consultants about D1 and D2, whether the DDA was that container. And in fact, it's not. And right at Willard is D1. Um, so just across the street. And if they had the property um, that is adjacent, uh, then it would just come straight across. So I think maybe my my first question to the development team is why a PUD and not an extension of D1? And I have another question after that. So if someone is interested in answering that or speaking to that. Brad, probably you should address that. Yeah, so the guidance that I've always been provided with is that the, the uh, D1 district was not to exceed the DDA boundaries. Um, so if, that, if that's a guidance that is changing, that's news. So then I have a question to staff because at, again, at our conversation with our consultants when we were talking about uh, D1, D2, I showed. Um, planner DeLeo, the map that I was looking at that both shows the DDA boundary and D1, D2 and the boundary and the and the D1, like the D1 seems to come all the way uh, to Willard, but the boundary is up a little bit. And so it would be helpful to, to just get some clarity about um, how that all is playing out, especially um, given how we're talking about this so if 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 the developer can't use a pud to get 
this development in this space and the develop and the city is not extending the D1 uh, to this space, then it feels like we're we're sort of creating something that maybe we haven't fully thought through. Um, and so I just want to highlight that and and um, I can send I'll send the map that I'm looking at to the commission. Um, and then if staff want to comment and you know just clarify, I think that would be super helpful. Um, Do you want me to comment on that right now? Uh, sure. Yeah, Commissioner yeah, yeah. Mills says yeah. yes, and then that will give me a chance to form my next question. Uh, so uh, it's a little bit of everything you said is yes. Um, traditionally, the DDA boundary has had a lot of similarity, but not absolute matching with the D1, D2 zoning districts. Um, so I think um, the comment from Mr. Moore and some of the conversation that happened at the last time of premiums, I want to be clear that there has been a history of those two functioning in a very parallel, largely parallel way, not absolutely, but largely parallel. Um, so I think because of that convention, that's where you're, you probably occasionally hear that, that, that inter interplay. But I, I want to be clear that there is no restriction um, from the city making adjustments to the D1, D2, or the UDC to more to disconnect those more so than they are now. And to be further clear, it is the D1, the D2 that regulates the land. The DDA does not regulate the land. The DDA regulates uh, a tax structure, but not anything about fiscal development. So uh, to be clear <laughs> from what you just said, uh, there is no restriction from the city for the developer to request the extension of D1 into this R4 or um, R4C. Yeah, there, there is, there's no, yes, the developer could ask for, anybody could ask to rezone their property to D1 today, anywhere in the city. That's where then the analysis is going to look at our planning documents to say, does this make sense consistent with our policies or not? Yeah. So I think the thing I am struggling with, which I think is a very different thing that I've heard so far, is that I walked the site. So once I saw this was coming, um, I walked the site, I looked at uh, what was there, I, I looked at all the articles, I looked at what was there before. Um, the It's largely student housing, it's largely rental uh, properties. I think um, Oxford has rental properties that are right ad adjacent to it. Um, and other than the Townsend um, Children's Center, which is behind it, you've got a parking structure on one side, you have a, what, 10-story student housing that's kitty corner, and then you have a university uh, housing dwell, uh, development that's right across the street. So I'm really struggling with this concept that we are preserving a neighborhood and that this development would drastically change the neighborhood that it, it, am I missing something? Is somebody like uh, perceiving something that I am unable to see uh, that I need to see and understand? Which I think is a real question, either to the commission staff or the developer. Well, we certainly believe that neighborhood is a larger context than one city block. So we absolutely. We Okay, so right. I'll let staff speak to how they perceive things or other planning commissioners 
but we we agree that neighborhood is a much broader context than one block. So I'm not I'm not hearing anyone say that I'm misunderstanding. And then the residents who called in, at least from Forest Court, we're a block away from that, and and that's like the 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 most that this development would impact that, if I'm understanding correctly, is the potential of some shade. But the caller called in to talk about the canopy of trees. So if my understanding is correct, they're already in a canopy of shade. And then the only other thing that is like in that neighborhood that I remember from another one of these uh, pre-PUDs was from um, Chair Gip Randall, where there is a, is there an oak grove um, that's there? But that's, again, not this development. And, and you made your articulation about doing whatever we could to preserve that because it's rare to have that inside the center city. So again, this feels like it fits this. It feels like it makes sense. Um, it's walkable uh, for students to be able to, you know, get to campus. It improves housing. I know that in the past we've had callers who have talked about uh, the need for developments like this to bring up the quality of housing because housing is so scarce. We have like a one to two percent vacancy rate in our city, which then forces students into subpar housing. And this seems like it would um, at least create some more stock to help uh, alleviate that. The things that are missing in the PUD are some of the benefits, which I think that would be up to the developer to go back to the UDC and to try to articulate with some of the feedback that we have. But apart from that, I, I, I'm just really struggling to say that this doesn't fit this neighborhood. Um, I, I think this makes sense. And if you are open, I would say um, suggest a D1 because it's the same process uh, to do a PUD as it would be to do a D1. And then you have a very clean uh, apparatus and structure. You have uh, clear objectives that you have to meet. Um, and if it pencils out, then, then I think that makes your case even better. Um, would be from my my point of view uh, at this point. So I'm I'm excited to see this project. I'm I'm glad that you brought it. I'm glad that it's extending beyond um, the 110 units I think that were or beds that were in the three story townhouses. I was delighted to see 19. I'm always going to ask why aren't you going taller? Um, because there are no height limits in PUDs, and um, we need more housing. So that's that's always going to be my question with these developments. Um, I, oh, sorry. Did you want I just to want, yeah, I just wanted to respond uh, in part to the commissioner's um, statements about D1. Uh, part of the thing for uh, the developer of student housing, as you may understand, is timing is critical. If if you miss the move in by a month, you've missed it by a year. And and so the path to approval becomes um, important uh, to say the least. And one of the things that is uh, difficult is when uh, a zoning designation like D1 is in, the, is in the process of being amended or potentially amended because you, you never know what you're designing to. And, and currently, um, the city is evaluating premium uh, calculations. So 
if we were to request D1 and start down that road, we could hit a dead end because those premium calculations all change. Uh, it's an unknown quantity and, and that really throws a wrench in the works in terms of moving forward on the timetable necessary to provide the housing when it's absolutely necessary in the, in the course of the student moving cycle, just FYI. Good, good point. Go ahead, Commissioner Sylvie. I think that bridges really well to what I was talking about was timing and that, you know, the conversation after this in the working session is about the comprehensive plan, uh, which could address all of this. And this project might be just a little too soon that it could be a D1 if, you know, in the recommendations of the comprehensive plan. And again, like that we have our UDC and then we have our comprehensive plan. And for projects like this, when you're requesting a rezoning, we reference our comprehensive plan to understand if it matches our community goals. And having that update might give us a clear line into uh, adopting you know, D1 here. It might make sense through a whole lot more community engagement to do this. <laughs> the thing I'm struggling with, perfect timing for my dog. Uh, the thing I'm struggling with um, is, like I look at D1, right? And is it R zoning to the south of this property? R4. R4, okay, because R zoning uh, requires a 30 foot setback for D1. Uh, it's currently 10 feet in the massing um, and 150 foot height limit, uh, which would give you about seven feet floor to floor um, at 19 stories. So D1 would be smaller. Um, or more squatty uh, in, in density. If you wanted to achieve the same FAR, you're not going to get that same setback, right? So you're, if you wanted this form to give more breathing room to the adjacent spaces relative to the podium to the tower, P, a PUD might make sense, right? That we're, we're leaning this thing up to avoid the uh, denser shadows of a, of a wider building right but that's not kind of what we're seeing kind of proposed yet and that's what i would want to see is the reason that the area height and placement is deviating from d1 uh to be a pud to create you know more you know benefit to the area around it when we're talking about sun building shade you know all of those sorts of things um an alternative or another way, you know, I review this with like, let's say it's, you know, six extra stories on top because you're trying to get to a higher density and we're talking about a PUD and the housing crisis, maybe those six extra stories. I know this is very hard. We're talking about D1 premiums, um, affordable housing on site. And so trying to run the pro forma metrics of a lot of different uh, kind of assemblies of units um, and occupancies that might not be just uh, students, to help address um, the kind of substantial uh, difference in the zoning that you're requesting um, by supporting multiple housing types um, instead of kind of one resident type. So I'm just kind of playing out all the variables that might lean into a PUD or lean into a D1. Right now it's really muddy and that's the kind of clarification I'd look for. And I'd really look forward to I think Brad will be there because he's local, um, but whenever there's hybrid meetings, as you guys continue this project, you know, joining some of these comprehensive discussions to hear community-wide um, what the community goals are and how you can apply it to a site, um, because I think you are looking at different scales. So I think those are just my comments uh, at this time about this oscillation between PUD 
and D1 is that it could fit into either bucket, but because it's muddy, I think that's the really hard thing at this point to tell you which direction until you give us reason of going one to the other. Um, because D1 might make sense by the end of summer once you see how community discussions are going. But I understand you want to just keep this process going forward. But the risk is you're going to go forward with looser arguments about it being PUD. And the looser arguments, I think, are going to be harder to get gain the support that is easier to support in a process uh, with a clear zoning distinction like D1. So I feel like I made it even more muddy, but that's it's oscillating between those two. And I guess that's how I'm trying to frame some logic around it and give you the variables to consider. That's it. Thanks. Sorry, Abrams. Hi, thanks. Uh, I think I have similar thoughts. Maybe just um, I'll say them in my own way and maybe they'll hit a little bit differently or not. But um, I think I like agree with everything that Commissioner Weish was saying about like this actually being an appropriate place for a dense project. Uh, we need housing. Uh, I think it's not true that providing more student housing does not have an impact on our housing situation more broadly in our community. It does. We need all kinds of housing. We just need more and more and more of it. However, I also agree with the discomfort being expressed around um, the application for the PUD and, and a little bit of the process. So like what Commissioner Weish's comments make me feel is that this area is not properly zoned, but there was a robust community conversation about why these, why this area is R4C and what the role of that zoning is meant to do. And I feel uncomfortable just uh, in some ways kind of plowing over that because I wish it was zoned differently in this instance. And so uh, the reason then why the D1, the application to uh, rezone D1 would make more sense perhaps is because we have already agreed as a community about what the restrictions are for D1, for, for D1. And then the conversation is just, is this an appropriate site for D1? And as Brett was saying, anyone could apply for that. And you know, if you did it in my in my residential neighborhood, I would get turned down. But maybe in this instance, it would make sense. Um, the PUD is meant to really be, uh, you know, a, a release valve for a site that has really unique pressure. Um, and I and I think it's difficult to make that argument here for this site at this time, based on what you all have presented. So I just would advise you to, as many others have, to think more carefully about uh, why the PUD and um, what the public benefit is. And, um, and uh, I'm, I'm like sensitive to the timing, uh, the point about timing. I don't wanna be, I, I understand that and I, I want there to be more development in our community because we need more housing. And so I want to do what we can, you know, to kind of make, to encourage and make development here possible. And yet at the same time, that can't be what drives, I think, a decision, you know, a one-off decision that doesn't kind of fit within a community-based process about land use and development in our city. So if it means that if, if following a process more in line with what I think the values of the community, like the process we've agreed we're going to follow, if following that process means a delay in the project that might 
have to be what we have to live with um, in order to do that. So um, I think similar to others, I like, you know, I support density. I want more housing. Um, I, I want uh, developments to be all electric and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I also, you know, I want to be sensitive to the fact that it's not really meeting the standard that we have set for ourselves in terms of what qualifies or what would justify, let's say, um, the pursuit of the PUD at this time. So if the role of this conversation obviously is to give the development team some feedback about what will make the petition successful when it does come before us, I think that seems to be something that everybody is um, raising a flag around. Thanks. Mr. Lennon, I'm wondering if you could, I, 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 I'm, I'm struggling with this um, idea of whether we have been sort of treating different projects differently around some of this stuff. And I'm wondering, because I know that we, one of the things that we won't get if this is D1 or that we won't be kind of guaranteed to get is an all electric building or lead or affordable housing. We can't ask for that once it gets into D1, you know, so that's another thing that we need to think about as part of our community goals too, in terms of the different pathways. And I'm wondering if you can remind us, because I just can't remember, around some of the taller buildings that we've approved, like the one on Maple or the one right next to Trader Joe's um, uh, that, was, that were also quite tall. They were PUDs as well, correct? And we were, I think, using, a, just remind me, I guess, of how those went. And I know one of the reasons that we were approving some of these things was because they were all electric and, you know, doing a lot of sustainability measures and, and things like that. But if you could just remind me about what um, things that we have either passed or that we've been considering and that are, you know, kind of up, up for, um, up for evaluation around those, because I just want to I want to make sure we're being somewhat consistent too in terms of how we're handling things for developers as they come to us. Sure. Well, let me let me start at a high level. PUDs are unique projects. And so I would I would urge the planning commission to think about the standards and whether or not any particular project complies with those. That may not mean that you are considering the same criteria or the same questions. One, for example, might be very natural resources oriented. One might be affordable housing oriented. One, both or another one might be more focused on sustainability. So um, the PUD by its definition is intended to be somewhat project specific. And so I, I, I would, I don't feel, I, I don't, advise you to feel like you need to make sure you're applying the same standards because they really are on a project by project basis. Some of the recent PUDs that has been considered, um, one that is in process right now is the North Maple uh, Apartments. I don't know off the top of my head. I want to say it's seven, eight stories or six stories. Uh, I apologize. I don't know that off the top of my head. Um, that is a, a project that is exceeding the density of the underlying zoning um, and plan that is a combination of both city property and annex property that has not been zoned anything. Um, some of the uh, aspects of that were um, electrification, solar. It does have affordable housing units uh, component to it. 
It has a cap of maximum parking spaces and some other project amenities, pedestrian connections and the like. Um, 530 North Division was a recent plan unit development that was a net zero building, um, small in scale. It's four units. It was an existing four units, but it didn't, it was non-conforming slightly by uh, the lot size requirements. In that case, the public, uh, the, some of the, the balance was really focused on sustainability, um, potentially the first net zero building in the city or in an even broader area. Uh, 340 Depot uh, was a uh, plan unit development. This, um, that was, um, that wasn't a lot of variability from its base zoning district. Um, it, there was an easement, I, I believe, on that site um, that was constricting their ability to meet the base zoning districts. Um, so that's an example where the sort of level of uh, uniqueness was present, but modest. They, it wasn't desirous from the project team to greatly deviate. So that was a sort of small scale on both sides of that. Um, the stadium project was not plan unit development. That was uh, 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 just a typical zoning project. Um, other projects that have happened in uh, recent that are plan unit development are um, 350 South 5th, the former Y lot. That's the city initiated project that has not been site planned yet, but that is was plan unit development. That included a higher commitment of affordability than the D1 that would typically require. It also uh, mandated um, some expansion of the Blake Transit Center. Um, so there were other aspects of that that would not automatically be um, required by D1. So is, are, are those some of the kind of project examples helpful? Yeah, that's really helpful actually okay. just to get the, the tour. So thank you for just immediately yeah. recalling that without, <laughs> I didn't give you any warning on that one. Um, well, I didn't know the number of stories of North Maple Apartments. So no, no, well, you did pretty well. <laughs> um, so uh, no, I think that I, I find helpful. Um, uh, one thing for me um, is that it feels a little strange to me that it's the tallest building in this area instead, like it feels scale-wise, like if you're gonna go for tall, that the tall should really be on, on like right in the middle of the D1 and that it should be stepping down somewhat. Like I, I think 19 feels a little tall to me for, for it being a transition place. And I, I don't mean it has to be four, but um, I feel like uh, 19 is like why push it if, if it's at the edge and it's kind of at the, at the, at the front of, of, it feels like it should be more of a transition to me. Um, I do agree um, with other commissioners that it makes sense in this area. It just does to me that it just in terms of what's around it. And I think that that little, you know, sweet area of forest court, that is like a, a neat little sort of, you know, single family tucked in spot amongst other things that that feels like it's probably going to evolve around that and and it does look lovely and it's like this little oak area but i do feel like it's not we're not we're not anywhere close to what we're not going to be affecting any of those trees um and i i get that the character is is unique in that little spot but it feels like there's a lot of other apartment buildings around and and, and tall ones too so I am I'm supportive of it getting um, of, of increasing density in this area. The height feels a little bit too much to me. Um, 
I, you know, I really support it being all electric and being lead. I think that's really important to me personally. Um, I can see where other people are coming from to kind of have another um, another dimension to it. But if I had to choose between PUD and D1, and that we have more leverage to be able to make those things happen with PUD, then I'd say PUD. That's where I am personally uh, with that. So um, I think that's all I have. Um, I guess the only other question that I would have for the um, for the developer is, is there any question about really being able to fill the retail space? That that's a, it's, it's a little, you know, there's just been a lot of retail that has been struggling and that is not in the commercial strip. And that feels like a great thing to have in the bottom there uh, to enliven it. And that it's not just like the workout room and the lobby, you know, and all that kind of thing, which is what most of them are. Um, but I'm just wondering, do you have a commitment, you know, from these people you talked about in your petition? Um, do you have any kind of questions about the viability of truly having some sort of commercial venture in that bottom floor? I'll, I'll let Chris speak to that because they've demonstrated uh, the ability to do this over and over and over again. So, Chris, maybe you could share how that's accomplished. Yes, that's um, that, that is a, a partnership that we've developed with um, what, what we would consider the uh, the best in the industry um, in the, the coffee trade. Um, they bring a level of excellence and expertise that you're rarely seeing in, in many industries, let alone one so specific. We've managed a partnership with them uh, to not only help them brand, but expand uh, with us. And we're very excited to bring this into, um, into, into all of our developments. Um, just conversations about it today, it, it creates a, a sense and a place of community that not only evolve the users and the tenants, but in, in they, it involves the public that, that tends to patronize the space. Um, so no, we're not concerned about filling the space. And, and yes, we find it vital to, um, to you know, introducing a, a project like this to the community. I'd be thrilled if you, if, if you can get away with it. Um, we've just seen other, other high rises that are in the downtown that have had a hard time you know, filling that space um, that, that have a lot of density above them. You know, so um, I just want to make sure you can fulfill on your promise there, I guess is what I'm, what I'm asking. Um, Commissioner Weich. I'll yield uh, to Mr. Leonard or Commissioner Clark, um, and then I'll come back. Um, I was just going to um, suggest that we do try to wrap up this conversation on this petition. I feel like um, the planning commission has given some feedback. We do have one other agenda item and we still got quite a few members of the public for a second public comment. So um, I know we are not bound by a two hour target, but I know that that is a desire of your commission with your frequent meetings. So I just wanna put a plug in for maybe we could start moving towards wrap up. Yeah, thanks for the reminder. So Commissioner Clark, why don't you um, say your piece since you haven't had a chance yet? Um, thanks. So yeah, I just wanted to say um, thanks for coming. You know, appreciate um, presentation. Um, I don't have quite as much of an issue with the height. I just looked up um, University Towers is about a thousand feet away, and it's eighteen floors. So I do think that given the redevelopment, you know, South University Corridor, looking at the zoning we have in place today, to me it makes sense with PUD since it doesn't fit their zoning category along with the other benefits, the electric, and I see the public benefit of having this house here and potentially slowing the raise, um, rising rents for everybody. 
Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to voice that I'm support. I think it fits the context well. Um, and yeah, thanks for coming out tonight. Okay, well, why don't we then wrap that up and move on to um, uh, the comprehensive plan uh, agenda item. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for coming. Give me one moment while I promote a couple of folks. All right. Um, thank you uh, for that conversation. Uh, thank you, Stacy and Jamie. Uh, for joining us this evening. I want to, um, uh, a bit of a last minute, obviously, as with the timing of the packet that um, agenda that I shared with you, but I appreciate the commission taking some time this evening. Um, I wanted to just have a quick introduction to the planning commission with Interface Studios and uh, project team that they have put together and that uh, the RFP evaluation team is going to be recommending to the city council to partner with the city to update, um, not update, to draft our comprehensive plan. Um, uh, Stacy and Jamie are representing Interface Studios, who is part of a multi-firm uh, team. And I've asked them here, uh, just to set the stage, uh, the RFP process, um, we issued a request for proposals. We received uh, seven proposal, written proposals for uh, doing the work. Um, the evaluation committee, which comprised of city staff and commissioners Sovey and Hammerschmidt, um, conducted uh, interviews, a written evaluation of those proposals, and um, ultimately have arrived at a recommendation of this firm and this team. Um, this firm and this team have not been yet selected by the city council. The next step is for city council to approve a contract to undertake this work. But given the timing of that pending, I thought this working session would be a great opportunity for me to um, provide an opportunity for them to give the full planning commission an overview of their firm, their team, um, the work ahead, and just, um, I don't want to, I want to be clear, I don't, we don't really have time to go into a lot of work plan discussions, but uh, a brief opportunity for commission, commissioners to have any questions of them, words of advice, or things that you are hopeful of um, for us to be successful in undertaking this comprehensive plan process going forward. Um, so with that, Stacy, I probably need to make you a host so you can share your screen. Or Jamie, are you going to do that? I could try. I think I can do it. Perfect. Can you see? Yeah. Excellent. Well, it's really great to see everybody, um, even though it's just virtually. Um, I actually can't see anybody now that I've shared my screen. but. Um, I'm gonna try and make this brief because I know you guys have been in a very long meeting already, but I just wanna introduce you to our firm, our team, and a little bit about of our, our, our approach. Um, so I'm Stacy Chen and I'm joined by Jamie Granger. Um, these are the other members of our team. Scott was also um, in the interview. So some of you have already met him. And our firm Interface Studio will be the lead firm and we will be the project management firm, 
urban design, planning, and also engagement um, for the comprehensive plan. We also have on our team Smith Group, um, who several of the team members are based in Ann Arbor, um, as well as Detroit and a couple other team members from offices elsewhere who are very, very specialized. Um, they'll be focusing on sustainability um, and also joining us in some of the planning analysis and then um, sharing with us the engagement. So there are team on the ground in Ann Arbor, but we'll be sharing a lot of um, our ideas with them in terms of engagement and, and planning. We're also joined by two different firms who will be looking very specifically at economic development. Um, one is Minigret Partners. They'll be looking at economic development as well as housing. And then And Access, who will be focusing more on the retail strategy aspect of economic development, particularly equitable economic development. And all of us have extensive experience in comprehensive planning, as well as neighborhood planning, district planning, various types. We have also worked together as a team in various combinations. So we have a lot of experience working together and understanding our, um, our dynamics. And I just wanna give you a sense of our approach. So um, I know equity is a big value that the city has among um, you know, the, the stated values that they would like to see represented in this plan. And of course, we will go through a process to unearth other, other values and themes. However, um, to us, equity has always been embedded in our work and we have been recognized for that both in our plans and also our process. So in terms of our process, um, one of the things that I can walk you through, and I shared this in the interview as well, it just kind of gives you a look at how we walk through from the beginning of sharing a purpose with everyone involved to getting to that final plan at the end. And it really is an iterative and additive process. So we go through this um, with everybody from, you know, from the planning commission and council to uh, members of the public in various forms. And we wanna make sure that we're all starting from the same place and walking through this process together understanding the values and the goals and talking about those together and then working through all of the ideas um, from the brainstorming through the testing and refining all returning to the idea of the values and I, I heard a lot of that in the conversation tonight. Um, did I, were you able to hear me? Sorry, I was worried I might have forced. Okay. Um, and the way we do this is by tailoring the engagement to the target audiences. And everybody has different needs, different time commitments. Um, and we wanna make sure that we are careful in the way we plan our engagement to meet those needs and to meet those people where they are. And so that will be one of the most important pieces of the early parts of the planning process is to develop a plan um, that can reach various audiences. Another thing that we find very important in our process is to make it fun as well, wherever possible. Um, and so we have developed a variety of tools and a, a, a variety of um, approaches that can be used in, in all sorts of ways, um, whether they're activities, open houses, uh, which is something we have talked about in our scope. Um, it might even be a storefront, you know, takeover somewhere very visible, and also utilizing. Um, existing events, whether they're block parties, 
or in this case, this is a really fun um, Ciclovia event that we piggybacked on, but really trying to meet people where they are in the community. And also over the course of the pandemic, of course, we really have developed a much more robust set of online activities so that when we have, for instance, an open house, we can mirror those activities online as well for folks who can't make it out in person. I'd like to introduce Jamie from my team. Yeah, thanks, Stacey. Um, you know, so Stacey walked you a little bit through about how we value um, the public input in our process, but we also are going to pull on our team's collective experience working on you know, a variety of different types of projects in different contexts. Um, you know, comp plans can also often really be narrowly thought of as just land use plans, but it's really kind of this interconnected nature of things like housing and transportation, all of those things that really ultimately end up deciding the land use. Um, so, you know, we're, all, we're gonna draw from all of our experiences working on these particular types of projects. Um, you can go to the next slide. You know, we, we understand that thinking about some of this interconnectivity is, is you know, can be challenging to, to think about and discuss. Um, so we often try to take an approach that um, make things as easy to digest as possible, really from the way that we talk about things and the way that we graphically represent them. Um, so this is an example from a project where we developed a series of comic books um, and strips really to talk about um, the connectivity between uh, housing costs and transportation and traffic um, and really putting it in terms that people can really relate to, uh, we've found to be most successful. You can go to the next slide. Um, so all of that said, it will ultimately end up um, developing a planning document. Um, we understand there are certain requirements often associated with comprehensive plans, um, but we also recognize that each place is different and we try to tailor the end product to that particular place. Um, so sometimes that means a very large graphic heavy document, other times it's something a little more accessible. Um, so that's something that will really work with you all and will emerge throughout the process. So within that planning document, we'll talk about a series of strategies uh, and a strong focus on implementation, both in the short-term and long-term. Um, you know, this being a comprehensive plan, it's more uh, long-term thinking and a longer time and planning horizon. Um, so we won't necessarily be implementing short-term uh, activation strategies. These are a few examples of things that we've done like mobile uh, music studios or pop-up parks, but we'll really be drawing from our experience of implementing these things to ensure that Ann Arbor really has um, these structures and capacity in place for others to implement uh, you know, in years to come. Uh, but it's also thinking about really these long-term policy um, decisions that will impact um, Ann Arbor going forward. Um, so this are a few examples from some work we did in a Pittsburgh neighborhood. Um, you know, our plan really codified uh, zoning changes and some major infrastructure improvements. They now years down the line, um, some of that stuff is being implemented through private sector housing development, uh, all following the zoning that we codified um, that was adopted across the city. 
um, things like district energy and a major bus rapid transit line that has received federal funding. So all of that stuff was within our plan um, that we developed with the community. So we really just wanted to end quickly on um, the, the overall plan schedule. Um, so we envision this plan being an 18th month process. Um, it's really broken up into four different segments. Um, so for the rest of this year, there'll be really be some uh, getting started and onboarding, a lot of data um, collection and analysis. Um, and then starting next year, really transition uh, to take everything that we learned and to develop some visions and strategies and ultimately plan document, um, completing everything in fall of 2024. Um, there'll be touch points with the community um, and uh, steering committees and working groups all along the way to really help us uh, guide this process. Um, so we, you know, thank you for taking time out of your busy agenda tonight, um, but we're looking forward to starting this uh, project with you all. Thanks. Thanks, we're excited too. Um, that, that, should I stop sharing so that uh, everybody can see sure. each other? Yeah, that sounds great. Anybody have any immediate questions or things like that that they, or comments or whatever that they'd like to share? Words of advice? I guess something that I would say is um, really figuring out how to get some input from people that would like to live here, but that don't. And that's tricky, I think. Um, but um, there's, there's a lot of people I know in that category. And um, I think that that's an important voice to have at the table. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And, and something that we've done um, previously is, is working with either businesses or universities and working on surveys. Um, so it's not necessarily people that are living but are working there and it's you know one point of contact, but we can work with you all to see if there's other opportunities as well. Anybody else? One quick thing that uh, comes to mind uh, just because of a recent um, city initiated community engagement process is really ensuring that we are including people who are um, habitually and sort of historically left out of these conversations because they don't possess um, either the resources or the sort of free time uh, to participate like in a round table uh, because they have to work or they have to care for their kids um, or their commuting um, in and out for employment or educational opportunities. And this, this is a, it's a challenging thing, but I know there are people within the community who do this work and do it really, really well. Um, and so they, you know, staff, I'm, I'm happy to connect to the resources that I have to staff so that they can connect them to you. Um, and then the other, um, thing that comes to mind is this is a complicated process uh, for a lot of people. And so what are, how are you all, or just wanting to put onto the table, how do you invite people who may not um, already possess uh, sort of pre-knowledge around how 
this um, process unfolds and what their what the implications are. So one thing that comes to mind is this is such a forward-looking document. It's like a a a thirty-year horizon type of thing. It's not something we're going to pick up and then start to implement, but we'll be making changes over time. And so as you prepare those deliverables, I think it would just be helpful to help set expectations for people around how this unfolds over time and space and that it does change. Um, um, and then the other thing that I just consistently hear, and I don't know how you all address is, um, this is a very emotional um, engagement uh, because it, uh, for a, a lot of people, it's their investments um, for their retirement or for their kids. And so I, I, the way that I think about it is that we're not always being model citizens when we um, engage in these process. Um, and so how do we how do we unearth that um, to, to really cr create a, a just process? So like our city is, is economically segregated. And so we have like two Title I schools because of the economic uh, segregation. And so it's built into the land. Um, but a lot of people are not aware that that's how this has unfolded. And so, yeah, so I just, those things are like at front of mind. They're in all of the conversations that I have with neighbors, as well as like some of our best spots in the city, like Carytown. People love Carytown, but our current zoning would not allow you to build it anywhere else. Actually, it wouldn't even allow you to build it in Carytown. So, so like, how do we unpack that for people um, so that they can understand that and see what decisions we need to make. Um, so those are just some top of mind things. And I trust the planning commissioners who um, selected you, uh, that they made every effort to make sure you were the best choice uh, for our city. And we look forward to holding you accountable to that. <laughs> Great. Thank you for that. And yes, we will absolutely want you to put us in touch with the folks who are doing great work. Um, and we will, like I said, one of the most important things we're going to be doing in the early part of this is putting together a community engagement and communication plan that dives into all of these different target populations and community groups that are doing these types of things. And we also are, you know, the the scope that we propose, you know, has some ideas um, as well on how we can really tap into um, some local knowledge. So we look forward to, you know, really fleshing that out further. And that's also holding us accountable uh, by us, me, and my colleagues and city staff, and all each of you. This is your ultimately a product that you are going to author. Um, and I would just say uh, how fortunate we are or unfortunate because of some weather events that we have two working sessions uh, this month 
at next week's working session, we're actually going to hear uh, an equitable engagement report from a committee that has been um, wrestling with some of these issues and trying to find recommendations and ideas about how the city can succeed in a lot of these facets of community engagement. So um, really timely. Commissioner Lee, did I see a hand? Yeah, I uh, just want to say welcome. Good luck with the city council. I really enjoyed your presentation. Also, uh, Donald, your mic sounds excellent. I got to say, I don't know if mine sounds nearly as good, but your mic sounds so good. Um, I would say we're predominant. Uh, uh, this I. I certainly want to second the socioeconomic marginalization and, and uh, inclusivity and process and outreach. Uh, the other thing, we're, we're a collegiate town, um, 120,000 people with symbiosis and a very complicated symbiosis with the university. I know that they're also undertaking their own master plan pretty much simultaneously. So that's Sue Gott and, and um, you know her planning division. So I, I think um, obviously getting inclusivity uh, and, and working to unpack some of those dynamics with the university is also, um, you know, and having kind of, again, interactive land use plans that kind of uh, marry with them. And then I think the idea is to try and simplify the access of our uh, master planning or comprehensive plan. Uh, that we have nine elements that have, you know, obviously varying ages. So how can we most efficiently make them accessible I would say that was kind of one of the elements that we were going into saying, how do you combine all these nine different things? You can't just copy and paste. And a lot of them, uh, you know, it's, it's a very continuous document. So uh, my recommendation as you guys go through this is interaction, obviously, and symbiosis with university and unpacking that relationship and their master plan or their comprehensive plan, um, as well as uh, making this document, again, as accessible and understandable to the, the varying degrees of folks. I mean, this is a well-educated well town, but also experiences regional socioeconomic stratification on a geospatial basis. So uh, I wish my mic sounds as good as, uh, I need to get a new mic, man. Uh, so, but um, I would say those are kind of the elements that, you know, I, I grapple with, with the, um, the folks, the consultants that are moving forward with this. Um, and th those would be my kind of recommendations, really uh, working to unpack that dynamic and making these documents accessible to the layperson, especially given their um, cross-sectional like lag time with the different plans. So that would be, but welcome. I love the presentation, love the cartoon slides. Like they're very easy and engaging and awesome. So I love the kind of uh, creative approach to making it fun. And I think that's, that's awesome. So thank you. Commissioner Dish. Very briefly, I just wanted to second what Commissioner Lee just said. Currently, I don't know if you can hear me well. Uh, you can. Okay. My internet is really wonky. Um, currently, our, our comprehensive plan is a sprawl. It's just a mass of, it's overwhelming. There are too many documents. There are inconsistencies among them. They do uh, they are of varying ages, <laughs> and so uh, it would it it, it just it, uh, a comprehensive plan is really translating a city's principles into its um, regulations with respect to space and geography, and it's really important that it be easy to 
to point to a piece of the plan and explain to residents, this is why we're doing this. Here's what we're achieving of the things that you want. This is how we're achieving them. And right now it's really difficult to do that. And it does, I think it, um, I think it means that some of our public discussions of these questions, as, as Commissioner Weich was saying, can get very heated very quickly because there, there doesn't feel like there's a common understanding of what we stand for and are trying to achieve. So that, that I, I hope you can help us with that. Um, yes, sorry, this is turned off my video because I think I'm in and out a little bit. Absolutely, I think um, one of the things that we hard on is our vision and being able to translate very Oh, Stacy, you're breaking up. I can't quite hear you. Uh, okay, so I think can you hear me now? No. No. Let's, More often uh, not. let's leave it at that. Any other <laughs> words of wisdom you have, feel free to send to me and um, a, a lot of work ahead. Um, thank you, Jamie and Stacy, for joining on. Uh, yeah, thank you. I, uh, fandangled last uh, last minute request. I'm really grateful for you, your ability to join us. Um, and a lot of work ahead, uh, being successful in all these endeavors. And I'm excited about it. I know the planning commission is, and I'm excited to get started. Thanks, Jamie. Yeah, thanks, Stacy. Yeah, thanks so much. And uh, speaking of fabulous, the uh, deputy planning manager, Hank Kelly, do you wanna uh, take us through the last public comment, if that's okay with you, Chair Gibrandle. That sounds great. I would be happy to. At this time, we have one hand raised, and that is for Kelly Chesler Root. You have permission to speak. Hi, thank you for letting me speak again. Um, allow me to be a little scatterbrained um, just because I took some notes throughout the meeting. Um, I don't want to make light of the sunlight situation. Um, it seemed uh, jokingly about preserving oaks that are a block away. Uh, the children next door use the sunlight and essentially we're going to be put in a 19 story shadow. So again, just want to revisit the fact that sunlight is important to some and all people. Um, uh, another point, um, we've made a lot of relationship connections with businesses on South U. I've worked uh, in that area for 13 years. Um, businesses can't stay on the floor of your buildings because you allow them to charge $10,000 a month in rent. So that might be something that is revisited in regards to ground space. Um, another point I wanted to make is that the renderings for the 19-story building do not show the many buildings that are already being built. So in regards to student housing and needing additional spaces, we have University Towers, Landmark, Arbor Blue, 611, and Z Place Apartments. It's my understanding that there is a building that is projected to be built on the north side of South U and on the south side of South U, in addition to the ones that are being built around Pizza House currently. Um, those I don't think are in the renderings. So we do have many, many, many beds that are already being added to the South U landscaping. Um, another point I'd like to add is that we have not 
addressed once, the construction effects on children um, next door. We've already had to abandon our playground multiple times due to um, the little construction that has taken place. Um, another point I'd like to add is that uh, you guys are talking about reaching out to people who live or who work in the community that would like to live in the community. And you can reach out next door to the 30 to 40 teachers that work for the university that are unable to afford to live in the community that we work in and commute, uh, some of them 30 minutes to an hour to get to work every day. Um, and if you'd like to partner with a teacher in this process, we'd love to partner with you. Thank you very much. There are no more hands. Thank you for your comments. Okay, I think we can wrap up then and move on to adjournment unless there's, do I, do I see another hand up? There is uh, someone just raised their hand. Oh, someone just um, raised their hand. I thought you said there were no more, no more hands. Sorry about that. Didn't, there weren't. You're a little, uh, you're a little fuzzy in your, your audio. Sorry about that. Our um, last speaker is Lisa Jevin. Hi, thanks for um, allowing me to speak again, and um, as well as the other speaker too. Um, I, I would just like to remind the commission that the university has approved three new housing projects recently, one on Elbel Field, one north of it on the properties that Riser is selling to the university. And this represents over 4,000 beds coming in. There's also been housing approved for North Campus. So I know I'm not alone in thinking that housing students should not be a priority for the city um, or for planning commission for that matter. And it's extremely disheartening to watch the city cater to builders of housing for wealthy out-of-state students time after time while ignoring its own taxpaying residents. When I first heard about these townhomes that were supposedly planned for this Church Street site, I was thrilled because I thought not only would the townhomes be appropriate and more attractive than what's there now, but that's the kind of housing that could also appeal to non-students or people like the teachers that the, this teacher just spoke about. That's what Ann Arbor said is it wants and needs. I don't see a lot of that being built, regardless of how much money these developers pay into the affordable housing fund. I would urge the commission not to be fooled by the false assumption that building more luxury student high-rises eases the housing crisis for permanent residents because it has not and it will not. There is absolutely no proof of this over the last 15 years when the luxury student high-rise trend took hold in Ann Arbor. More luxury student housing merely raises the value of the land. It also removes desirable walkable locations from the list of places where permanent residents could have potentially lived. Building luxury student towers does not lower rents. It never has. If you think it has, please show us the evidence. We would love to see it. And lastly, please do not set the precedent that our neighborhood zoning is optional and that the promise of a 19-story tower trumps everything. The city just upzoned several transit corridors so developers have ample chance to build housing towers there where it's already legal. Why not do that? It is very disheartening that a developer from Texas can come in and drastically alter our neighborhood like this with total disregard for our zoning laws 
and our residents' livability while sticking us with something we don't want and which won't help our housing situation at all. I want to remind you that this block was not made D1 for a reason. It's a step-down area. Please leave it like that. Thank you. Thank you. No more hands. All righty. I think then that we can safely move on to adjournment. So um, we will see you all next week in person. Wait, what? Remote. <laughs> Remote. Oh my gosh. Right. It's okay. a working session. <laughs> I mean, you can, we can set up a desk for you at City Hall if you prefer. Yeah, right, no, no. I'm happy to have you do it from home. Two working sessions in a row. Thank you for the correction.